If you're just joining us or, or a guest from out of town, we're taking the summer to look at, we've called it at the table. And we're talking about things that happen at the table when Jesus, in the book of Luke, Luke records ten different meals that Jesus had with all different people, from believers to non-believers to large groups to small groups, and it's been a blast. So I really hope you are enjoying it. We we are looking at the Passover meal, is what we've called the message today, the Passover meal, and I'll explain a little bit about that. But before we dive in, I just need to know, I've been kind of taking a little poll all weekend. I want you to think of two things. I want you to think of your favorite main course to eat, main course, and your favorite dessert. I want to get them in your head because I'm going to have you tell somebody what they are in just a second. Your main course and your favorite dessert. So whoever's next to you on either side or front, just tell them right now, main course and dessert. Go ahead. Okay, that's good. How many of you said steak? Okay, a lot of steak. How many of you specifically said prime rib? Ah, anyone takers for lobster? Okay, it just costs too much, right? How about dessert? Any banana cream pie people here? Not as many as there should be. What is wrong with you guys? Chocolate cake, creme brulee. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's been similar all weekend. You guys are really good. I like it. Well, you know, it, what's fun is when you know you're going to have your favorite food. Like, you know, you plan. Like, I have a couple restaurants that I go to, and I almost always order the same thing. You know why? Because I like it. Anyone else do that? You, you go in saying, I'm not going to get the same thing. And you look at the menu, and you look it over, and you go, yeah, I really like that thing that I always get. This, this is what's happening in the story is there is a, a specific meal. It's called the Passover meal. And they're going to have it together. And it involves quite a process. How many of you have ever had a Passover meal, a full Seder? Okay, quite a few of you. If you haven't, you can Google around and see what all happens, but it's quite a process and some stories are told during the meal and lots of stuff are, ha- are happening. I, I grew up um, kind of enjoying Sundays because, well, first of all, my dad was a pastor, so we had to go to church. Like, we went to church on Sunday morning, went to Sunday school, then church, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. It's a miracle I ever come to church now. <laughs> but I, I actually liked it. But I, my favorite part about Sunday, I hate to say it wasn't church, because church back in those days was long. It was just lasted forever. But... My mom would put a pot roast in the oven with like potatoes and carrots and gravy and, and I would walk into the house. I remember this from being just a little kid, walking in the house and going, I can smell it, I can smell it, ah, the whole house. And oh, it was always so good. So it's funny how aroma of good food and our baked bread, or whatever. it can take you to that memory lane. Well, this is in the story. They're going to walk into a room where Peter and John have already prepared the food, and it's going to hit them, and it's going to be a wonderful experience, and it's the disciples with Jesus. So in verse 7 of Luke 22, if you have a Bible, just flip it open, or an iPad, or whatever you study off of, go to Luke 22, and I'm going to start reading with verse 7. I just called this first point in your program there, the Passover meal. So just write that 
on number one, the Passover meal. Now, in verse 7, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, and the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Then Jesus sent Peter and John ahead of the rest of the disciples, and he said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. So what's happening here is Jesus is getting ready. Basically, he's getting ready to die. He's gonna, this is going to be his last meal with them, and he wants it to be special. He has some things in mind that he wants to say to them. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually lasts seven days. And the Passover meal is actually one day. So this text with Matthew agreeing with Luke and, and Mark, but John has some different versions, and so there's a little bit of controversy between how long this lasted. But it doesn't really matter. The, the important thing that we need to hear is that Jesus wants a special time with his disciples. These guys have been together for over three years now. Jesus knows the time is coming when he's going to lay down his life. He's going to face crucifixion. They don't really get that yet. They don't really understand what all that means. He's going to try to explain it. But why do you suppose he would choose a meal to tell them all this? I want you to think about that. He's, he's going out of his way to say, you guys, go make a specific meal. Because in his mind, he's valuing what's happening at the table. I ran into a, a wonderful couple from our Windsor campus this week, and they were, we were talking about this series at the table, and they have a bunch of daughters. I think they have four daughters, and, and uh, one of the daughters said to mom, and mom was telling me this, I'm so glad as a family we still sit down at a table and have dinner together, because she said, none of my friends do that. Kids just go to their room, they go watch TV, everybody's running around, there's no at-the-table moment. I would just love to challenge some of you families with young kids, make it a fun moment. Have some fun at the table. Have some discussions. Get your kids talking about their day. Because I've seen, I've been at tables when basically here's what happens. Bye. Why don't you take your time this week? Why don't you plan a, a time when you can talk and say... What was your favorite part of your day today? And get some talk going. Get some things to happen. We need to value. These. Jesus was valuing this moment at the table. Good food, good discussion. It's hard to beat that. The second thing in your outline is this. Is God always this specific? Now, what, what the Lord is about to say is really specific. I mean, to the point that it's almost humorous. But, but I'm going to read it, and I want you to just really pay attention to what he's doing here. It's in verse 9. Peter and John look at the Lord and they say, Where do you want us to prepare this Passover meal? He replied, <laughs> get this, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meals. <laughs> I bet Peter and John are going, oh, did you write that down? We're going to meet, we're going to meet a guy carrying a bucket of water when we go into Jerusalem and we're going to go where? We're going to follow him to a house and we're going to get, we're going to talk to the owner and the owner, have you set this up? One of two things has happened. Either Jesus is a good planner or he's omniscient. And I think he was both. And this story is fascinating to me, just that part of it, because 
He doesn't want to reveal where the meal is going to happen to anybody, not even Peter and John. Any guesses why? I'm, this is just me thinking through because of what happens in the story. It's possible Judas, Judas is there. Judas has already agreed to betray him. And Jesus doesn't want this last meal to get messed up. He doesn't want the betrayal to happen at this special place with this special meal. He wants it to go well. He knows it's going to happen. But I think he's being protective of this mealtime. Which I think is kind of significant. Because he's saying, I'm, I'm going to make sure Jude, Judas doesn't know where this is, is going to happen. As a matter of fact, none of the disciples are even going to know. So he sets it all up in a spirit way where it's a mystery where they're going to go. I think that's pretty cool. The third thing in your outline is, how can I learn simple obedience? How can I learn simple obedience? Now, does Jesus know what's going to happen tomorrow in your life? Yes. It doesn't mean He forces everything to happen. He just knows what is going to happen. There's a, there's a fine line between predestination and being predestined to be forced into something and, and free will where we decide. You know, if you fall down the stairs, you don't have to get up and go, Whew, glad that's over with. <laughs> like, like no matter what, it's going to happen. Sometimes you just stumble and fall. God didn't make you fall, but you just fall. But God does know what's going to happen. He set this meal up. And simple obedience really matters. This is why this is important. Because if you trust God in the, in your day, when something happens that isn't supposed to happen or isn't planned to happen, it might mess your day up, but God knew it happened. If you're connected to God, good things can, can happen. Look at the verse that goes with this. Simple obedience. Verse 13. It's just one verse. Peter and John went off to the city... And they found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. Boom. One and done. I'm a little shocked at that verse because Peter's in the group. And I'm thinking, why didn't Peter say, well, but Lord, I know this guy. He's got a big house up here. Why didn't Peter offer some other solution? Keep in mind that they've been with Jesus now for three plus years. And that's a big deal because now they've learned to trust. They've seen him heal people. They've, they've listened to him say things that actually happened. That fig tree was cursed the next day. All of a sudden, the things that come out of his mouth are real. So Peter and John don't even question. I started thinking about what that meant. How do I learn to trust the Lord? How do I, how can I learn to discern what is the voice of God and to do what the Spirit says to me the first time the Spirit asks me? Part of that is experience. I don't know about you, but I learn from, from some mistakes that I, I, I make. And I, I kind of go, man, I don't want to make that mistake again. And then you get it right and you learn from that. It's like, well, that was good. I, that really was God who spoke to me about... about I heard a story uh, last night about a guy who um, was walking out the door and he told his wife, I don't know why, but I'm impressed to go get a white towel and bring it with me today. And he went back and got a white towel having no idea, just a, just a prompting. And it ended up that that white towel was used to help someone with a head compression in an accident that they witnessed. And the, the man was on the ground and he grabbed that white towel and was able to, to, to help bring healing to that man. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and go, 
Oh man, white towel. Uh, what is it? Ah, uh, man, the red socks or the green socks? No socks. That sounds good to me. God, tell me. I, I don't. I don't do that. But I do think I want to walk with the Lord so that I don't miss moments when He really does want to convey something to me. And I just want us to have open hearts. Will we be able to hear? Or am I just walking through opportunities on a daily basis where I'm not even listening for the voice of God because I'm getting my checklist done, by golly. I'm getting it done. And I don't have time for the Holy Spirit to be messing around giving me a job. I need to get this done. So let's pay attention. Let's listen to His voice. Number four in your outline, what is the significance of this meal? A lot is about to happen, and Jesus is starting to explain that He's about to die. So let me just read it in verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together, say it with me, at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Is that, does that touch you? Jesus is saying, you guys, I'm so excited to have this meal with you. Because he knows he's about to get killed. And he's about to lay down his life. And, and this is the moment he's waited for. He's planned this. I'm excited. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. They still don't have a clue what's going to happen. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Does this stir up anything for you? When we share communion, guess why we do that? Because of this story. This is the pattern Jesus wanted to set with His disciples that would continue on with Christians after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we're after the death and resurrection. We really know what this means and we really understand it a lot better than they did. Jesus is making this moment a significant moment in the memory of His disciples. He wants them to remember. This meal is a celebration of a lot of things. It's called Passover meal. Because way... I won't get bogged down here, but I just need to mention it. Way back in Exodus, the Israelites needed to come out of Egypt. And the Pharaoh said no. So God started putting plagues in Egypt. Remember these plagues? Horrible plagues. The tenth plague was the death of your eldest son and you needed to have blood put over your, your doorpost in order to not have that happen to you. And so all of the Israelites put the blood on their doorposts and the death angel passed by, passed over that house and no one was harmed. So it's been a symbol of salvation. It also celebrates the Red Sea crossing. When the Israelites made it through. So what's happening here is they're having this meal. They're talking about the salvation of God. Jesus is about to lay down His life and fulfill all of this stuff with shedding His blood so that you and I will not know death without God. But we will have death with eternity with God. 
And so Jesus is trying to unpack all of this. And He's letting His disciples know, this is my last time before I face death, crucifixion, and resurrection. Now, number five and six is really where I want to spend a little bit of time with you here because there's, there's so much in here that can apply to our lives. Are you ready to open your heart? Okay. I really want you to just prepare to say, Lord, reveal to me the truth about me. Because sometimes we don't. Can I know my own heart? That's number five. The Bible actually says, no one knows your heart. And I hear it all the time. People say, well, he has a good heart. Well, how do you know that? We can trust people. And people prove trustworthy. We can say, they have a, I believe he has a good heart. But we don't really know what's in the heart of man. So, maybe we all have a little bit of Judas in us. Just saying. Think about this and be open. Verse 20. This is intense. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with whose blood? My blood. Which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here, at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. Gulp. Everybody's looking around. It's quiet at the table. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Here's what I want you to understand. All, all of these disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus these three years, including Judas. He, he, he loves the Lord. He, he was appointed treasure of the group, so he's trusted by them. What, what in the world is happening to Judas that would cause him to turn from being loyal and trusting God to being the one who would actually betray him. And I started thinking about this and praying about this. And I started sort of saying, Lord, show me, show me stuff in me that could end up in a bad place. What, what is my potential to end up making a bad decision that impacts other people and impacts my life? And I have plenty of them. I think you have plenty of them. We sometimes just say, Judas, and we're mad, and he's the guy that betrayed Jesus. But we don't stop and think about maybe the why. And the Bible doesn't give us all the reasons why. But, but I think, you know, being the treasure, there's a couple times in the Gospels when Judas is not happy with how money is spent. And he's the one who speaks up and says, this is not a good idea. Do you know how expensive that perfume was? Blah, blah. He goes, he's, he's, something of an angst is growing in him. Another thing that was really difficult for not just Judas, but probably all the disciples, is that Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of God. And they believed the kingdom of God would come right then. And they would be set up as rulers. So there's probably some impatience in Judas going, come on, where's the kingdom of God? I'm ready to rule. I, I got it together. I need that. I want that. And some scholars even say Judas thought that if he did this, Jesus would bring in authority and set up his kingdom and, and stop this whole mess from happening. And Judas might have had that in mind, thinking, I'll just force his hand. Then he'll have to respond. There's lots of possibilities. But for us today, how does it happen when we go from someone of faith and simple faith and honoring and loving God to carrying a grudge, to being angry, to letting something bug us? 
dig deep in us. Have you been there? God shouldn't have let that happen. I've watched people. I've watched people get angry at God because of the surprise. Why would God let my child experience that? Why would I get this disease? God, you're not the God I thought you were. Listen, God can handle the truth. You can say anything you want to Him. And you're never going to understand Him. And you might never understand the bigger picture until you ask Him someday. But it will make sense to you then, I promise you. I just know this. I don't want to live my life with an angst about God or towards someone else. I don't want to live my life where something's going to pop out of me and I'm going to betray Jesus because I've been burying it and I've been carrying it around and now it's eating at me. And if you've ever seen someone who finally just hits the end of the rope and they're angry and they're mad and they're venting, that didn't start that way. That started way back there somewhere. And it wasn't dealt with. When I see marriages uh, dissolved and people going through this horrible thing called divorce, I watch, man, they, they loved each other. They had a family together. They cared about one another. They honored one another. And something happened. And that angst began to grow. And that bitterness began to grow. And someone wasn't faithful. And someone broke a vow. And this happened. And all of a sudden, their paths are going this way. And it ends in a place where people are wounded. And it's hurtful. And the kingdom suffers. And they suffer. My heart goes out. So many relationships that get severed. Just don't say it couldn't happen to you. It can happen to us all. Don't open your heart toward the pain that Satan wants you to harbor in it. Those seeds get planted in all of us. And let's not let that go unchecked. Will I, my, my question, will I allow God to really examine my heart? And, and will I be strong enough to handle what impression I feel that He's putting in me? I had a, oh, I had a tooth crack. I mean, one of my way back molars, you know, way back. And I could feel it was loose, and I knew it was deep in there. And I'm, I, love, I love my dentist. He's awesome. If you're here today, I love you, brother, okay? <laughs> I do. And, and their whole staff, amazing office. Uh, a bunch of them go here, so um, I need to be careful. But I do not, I do not like going to the dentist. Not because of the people, but because of my teeth and because of pain and because of the noises of drills and tools and things. It's just not right. you think they could create something that's more quiet. But they had to go get this tooth out. And I mean to tell you, I, I just, it was just, it's, it's embarrassing because you're sitting there and they got the, you know, and you, it just, your saliva is gathering in your throat, and then you gag, and it, you're like so embarrassed, like you're going to throw up on somebody, and just, there's nothing good about this, nothing. And they just have to keep drilling, and keep drilling, and keep drilling, and keep drilling. Why? Because that's how you fix it. And sometimes there's pain when God drills down in our lives, and He touches those places that you have kept untouchable. But God wants to get in there and rip that stuff out so that you can have freedom, so that you can enjoy your meal without a toothache. And God is the one that can do that. And He might expose you to some other people who, who can help you. Sometimes these battles are not, they're not conquered alone. Well, I'll deal with it. No, you won't. So just pay attention to what's growing in your heart. Judas never dreamed that He would be the guy. And when Jesus said, 
there's someone at this table, Judas probably gulped pretty good. Because he was found out. But his body language didn't reveal it to anyone else. And that leads me to the last point. And it's amazing what happens in this wonderful meal and how it gets sabotaged by the human race. The new kingdom way of servanthood. Number six. The new kingdom way of servanthood. I want you to keep in mind the progression. Jesus says, I'm so excited to have dinner with you guys. I have something really fun to tell you, exciting to tell you, horrible to tell you, because I'm going to die, but I'm looking forward to this meal. Then it turns into, one of you is going to betray me, and then it's chatter, and then this happens, verse 24. Then the disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. How sad is this? Jesus had all this anticipation looking forward to having a meal with his boys and laying it out there and he's going to die and they're fighting about who's the best. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. He's referring to Romans. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. What is... Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Rhetorical question. Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. And so now, he's gone from this pleasure of having a meal with his friends, his disciples, to knowing he's going to be betrayed. And now he's listening to the chatter around the table of, of who, who's going to really be the be the big wig. And I, I just think it breaks his heart. I think his heart was broken before he ever went to, to be crucified. Sometimes we miss that Jesus had real feelings. And he, he's trying to correct this, but they just don't get it. So how would you go from that experience into arguing about who's the greatest? It happens all the time. It's kind of like an argument that starts with, with you mentioning, maybe someone pointed their finger at Peter and said, you know, you could be the one. You've been pretty. You've been a basket case a few times. Um, you could you could be the guy that's going to betray Jesus. And Peter's like, "Oh no way, dude! I'm the one that walked on water. Did you walk on water? No, you didn't walk on water. I did. Well, because why? My, my faith is stronger than yours. Yeah, but you started sinking because your faith. Well, yeah, but did you ever even try? And all of a sudden, you've got these comparisons, and you've got these men who who are jockeying for position and and they're trying to to outdo one another so then this comparison turns into you're weak in that area I'm strong in that area yeah but I'm strong in that area you're weak I've seen you these last 3 years I know what's going on and they forgot why they were at the table and that happens to us all of a sudden good old me good old number 1 I just have to somehow when I just have to somehow come out on top. I just can't serve. I just have to win. All this is so human. This statement, let the greatest be the servant, this concept, it's not in our world today. But it's in us. May we always be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something that's very important to me. Servanthood doesn't mean lack of leadership. You know, some people say, well, to be a servant, you just have to go around and do what everyone tells you to do. No, 
Let me, let me explain a little bit about what real servants do. This is about respecting other people. This is about honoring people. This is about doing whatever needs to be done to get the job done without need for applause. This is about self-perception. It's a quiet confidence that doesn't need to prove anything. This is about honoring people for their strengths and not being jealous or not trying to say, well, I can do it better. Turning the conversation back to you. This is not needing the credit, but rejoicing with the result. It's just so funny. You know, people say, yeah, we fixed the lady's fence today. It was nice. I'm, I'm, I have a construction background. Probably, you know, probably wouldn't happen if I wasn't there, but you know, it, we all helped. No big deal. It's just funny how we subtly try to get our little points out of something that we attempt to do. And instead of just having this quiet reserve and being able to know that God has a mantle on your life and you don't have to brag about it, you can simply use it. I love, I love Dick Foth is, Dick and Ruth are some of my favorite people in the whole world. And um, Dick, after a pastor's meeting one time, I think I shared this with you before, the pastors are getting ready to leave the conference room, so he goes and opens the door, and he just stands there and holds the door. Have a good day. God bless you. Good to see you. He's just talking, and, and the whole time, everybody's walking out, and I'm the last one out of the room, and I say, wow, Foth, you are such a servant. I'm just so blessed by you being such a servant. He kind of shook his head. He said, well, you know, if, if you're going to serve, you might as well do it where people can see you. He was, of course, kidding. I love the thought. You can tell in your heart if you really are a servant by how you react if someone treats you like one. This week, how can I serve those I work with? How can I offer a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? How can I surprise some people here at Timberline that they wouldn't see me doing that? But I'm doing it to serve and out of a love and a care for this great church and its ministries. How can I serve my own family? How can I surprise my wife and kids? How can I somehow shock them by serving them in a way that grabs their attention, not just to show off, but to truly serve? How can I serve my neighbors or my neighborhood in a way that they wouldn't expect? How can I serve the world I live in? How can I serve my Lord with my whole heart? Would you take that as a challenge this week? And let's be people who serve. Because that's the kingdom. Let's pray together. I'm moved by this story, Lord. So moved. It had to hurt your feelings when they started arguing about who was the greatest. Yet, you saw that as them being human. You see us when we say things that are silly and we jockey for position and we try to win. And I just ask you to cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse us today. Let us know that we are better together, utilizing each other's strengths celebrating each other's strengths and not being jealous, celebrating those who can give large amounts and not, being, not wishing we had that money and resenting them. Show us how to do what we have with what we have. Your mission, your work, 
What is in our own hand that we can, we can utilize to build the kingdom of God? Thank you for sweet contentment that can come in our hearts and we can live with that sweet spirit. Lord, I pray for those right now. I really hope that you will open your heart. If you have a little Judas in you, and maybe it's not really Judas of betrayal, but maybe it's that angst, that pain. It leads to anger, frustration, or maybe you're really holding a, a grudge to, about someone, something, and, and it's taking your life away. This would be the time to say, God, examine my heart. I'm not going to live like this anymore. This is messing with my future. Lord, I just pray for my sisters and brothers right now that they will just feel your sweet spirit reach in and take some of this out of their hearts. Purify us. Grow us. Drill deep, even if it's painful. Get that stuff out of us so that we can enjoy health and life with you. We trust you fully. Thank you that you are our Lord, our God. And thank you for drinking that cup of sin, for laying your life down. When we share the Lord's Supper, when we share the cup and the bread, Lord, we remember this story and we're going to remember this moment. And we want you to be proud of your kids on this earth. So thank you today for touching our hearts and shaping us through the Word of God at the table. In your name, amen.